0: It's March ninth, nineteen seventy nine, and nineteen 1990- <laughs> <sighs> ninety. Okay, hold on. It's nineteen seventy nine, nineteen ninety six, and what? Bar- <laughs> 19- oh, Smashing Pumpkins, man. number one. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Tell Me All Your Thoughts in Pod. I'm Trev. I'm g- Quargan. <laughs>
1: I'm Al. And this is a podcast where we talk about every song that reached number one on the Billboard Modern Rock chart in the 90s <laughs> Quargan. Beginning with Kurt Cobain's death in April 1979.
2: <laughs> Today we'll be talking about 1969. <laughs> uh 1979 the second single from smashing pumpkins third album melancholy and the <laughs> infinite
0: sadness march 9th 1996 spent just one week at the top <laughs> of the charts here's a clip <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: oh.
2: <laughs> so dumb
1: I kind of wanted That's to interrupt sorry. Quillen and say Today we'll be talking about 1979 The 1,979th single from Smashing Pumpkins <laughs>
3: <laughs> Oh, damn it
1: <laughs> Um. Alright, well We gotta buckle in Um. Let's just go ahead and say You're now listening to disc 1 of our 1979 podcast, dawn to dusk. Mm. Um, do you have powerful memories of hearing this track, 1979, back in 1996?
2: No. Yeah, uh, same. I no, not not powerful. Really? No. Yeah. I definitely remember hearing it and not loving it, uh, liking it okay uh, initially and. Yeah.
0: Yeah, huh. weirdly I remember bullet with butterfly wings having uh legs to carry for like months. Where like uh-huh. that single lasted forever and I was like you got to come out with a second single at some point. And I was mm-hmm. listening to the radio and they announced this as the next single and played it. And I was like, I don't even know what this is because I hadn't gotten to the second disc yet. And it was like (laughs) six months later. And I was still like listening to just the first eight or nine songs from the album because um, I think I had been trained at that point at that early stage in my life to just listen to, to CDs for the singles because yeah. everything that i bought to that point was just like they, they weren't good albums it was just like you you buy cds for the singles yeah mm-hmm. and then huh. listen to it that way
1: yeah i think that uh bullet with butterfly wings was definitely too heavy for me then and zero was i think a little bit too heavy for me then i think yeah. that i fairly quickly made the transition from i mean gosh uh, it we're we're getting ahead of ourselves here but you know when you make the transition from something being outside your comfort zone to it, just maybe being inside your comfort zone to getting jacked on it. Like that was what my experience was with zero. Oh, like it was yeah. this transition from this is scary to me to I, because this was scary to me very recently, this is getting me like high listening to this mm-hmm. song. Yeah. But it, for the most part during this time period, I think that I probably would have told you in 1996 that 33 was my favorite single from this album.
2: Wow. Mm. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, I hated that song.
1: Really? Uh, yeah, no. it's. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, I
2: mean, at the time, like at first, like I was like, what the huh. hell is this?
1: Yeah, it's the warm, nostalgic songs from this record that hit me sure. hard at first and- and that's definitely, it seems to be the way that Billy Corrigan felt about this song based on the lyrics that he wrote, but it definitely feels like I get sent back in time to, to me, it's like this kind of like hazy summer feeling. And I I don't know exactly how to describe what makes a song humid feeling to me, but this song yeah. is humid in this, in the way that. I feel like I'll talk about this with a number of songs that we're discussing, but maybe this is the first time. There's a feeling of a night in the middle of summer when summer feels so eternal that the night is boring. You know, when there's like, it's like you're in the middle of summer and there are no stakes because summer is going to last forever. And it's like it almost lulls you into this feeling of complacency or maybe even boredom that... Only in retrospect when you're looking back where you're like, Wow, can you imagine that I was just like lost in this summer night where it just felt like summer was eternal, you know? Hmm. I I don't know if you relate to that at all, but that this this song is like that for me. Very and distantly, the, the, because I haven't had yeah. a
0: summer to enjoy in, you know, twenty Yeah, maybe years as or a whatever. teacher, yeah. maybe
1: I'm still stuck in this mindset that um maybe other people don't have yeah
0: yeah but i think i think this kind of kicked in around springtime right um, um maybe yeah uh, yeah march yeah, yeah okay um yeah i can i can i can appreciate that i think that it certainly carried over its popularity really kind of kicked in over the summer that year
1: yeah um, the music's videos got them you know jumping in the swimming pool and yeah and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff um so i read i i I didn't know any of this stuff And, and trav feel free to stop me if you've got stories about some of this stuff but apparently bullet with butterfly wings was one of the first songs to be written for melancholy and at least according to corrigan 1979 was one of the last songs to be written for melancholy and so he was already sort of transitioning to adore um, or at least the style that was going to be on a door. This is a, like a rock electronic hybrid. Um, I'm curious, can you make out what's live and sampled drums? Is this after? Um. Uh, Jimmy Chamberlain was kicked out of the band that they would have been recording this song. Anything, anything that you know about that? No, so I think that um, it, like
0: jimmy chamberlain was kicked out during the tour that followed this album okay um and that had happened maybe i don't know if it was in europe or what but it was well into the tour where he and the keyboardist uh jonathan melvoin had overdosed on heroin uh jonathan melvoin died and um i think it was like maybe the third time that jimmy chamberlain had like had a pretty serious like heroin incident during the tour mm-hmm. and so they kicked him out at that point um i believe the drum part is a loop that is repeated hmm. Um, it sounds like, you know, there's some effects on it, maybe like a bit crusher kind of like effect. Th-
1: there's points. a moment when the normal sounding kit drops out and you get very much like, yeah, a bit crusher kind of Well Well, uh, the intro
2: and the outro have loop. the bit crusher kind of sound too. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. But yeah, there definitely sounds like for a good portion of the song that there is a live, maybe not played live, but like, yeah, like a, a live drum kit looped. Um, Yeah,
0: yeah. Hmm. is that what? That's what you think too, then, Quillon?
2: I think probably,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Do you know what the deal is with the vocal sample? Because that's a pretty interesting, distinctive thing.
0: What is
2: that? What are you referring to?
1: I hear the.
3: It's
0: it's like a delayed (laughs) vocal part. I've heard Uh it. I've heard it isolated to know what it is, and it's not anything. It's like an ooh and a, a. a te, uh, like a a T sound.
1: Yeah, it um, almost sounds like somebody talking to yeah. me. And there's huh.
0: there's like that delay that makes it kind of choppy, echoed kind of sound. Um, yeah. But I, it's not clear exactly what it is other than just like a, a vocal sound that's laid on top of the drums as like this percussive sort of thing. Um, hmm. it, it's definitely like the most distinctive part of the song right i mean like without it it's a very it's a very simple song Mm -hmm. um without a lot of um without a lot of embellishments or anything like that there's not a lot of uh, uh you know parts to dress it up really yeah but um yeah you think about the song kicking in and you think about that vocal sample um which is just kind of a strange, a strange call, and it's cool. I mean, obviously, it paid off. It was probably their most popular single.
1: Yeah. Um, do you have any idea to what degree this is the influence of the man they call Flood?
0: <laughs> Flood? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Flood seems like it. It sounds like they moved on from Butch Vig. To uh, flood because he had done this sort of. Um,
1: this so did Butch Vig work on Siamese Dreams? Yes. He yeah. Did. I'm sorry. Okay. And, this
2: is uh, co-produced though with Alan Mulder too, right?
0: Yes. Who I think uh, produced for My Bloody Valentine also, right?
2: Mm, he was like engineer and he he uh, produced like all the Swerve Driver albums.
0: Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So he's like a he's like a um, a shoe guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think Flood, the the reason uh, from some of the videos that I had seen, they said that they went to Flood because he, I think he worked on Acting Baby and Mm -hmm. he worked on albums where it was this sort of like surprise left turn from bands where you weren't Mm -hmm. expecting um, a a change in styles. And so they, they went to him because I guess he is the guy to go to for that. Yeah. And it certainly seemed to, to apply here too. I mean it's a it's a bit of a jump from Siamese Dream.
1: Sure. Um any thoughts on what the song is about? What are zipper blues?
0: I
2: think it's about seventy nining. <laughs> <laughs>
0: nice. <laughs> That's great. It's, I mean, it's like a nostalgic thing, right? I mean, like, even without specifically saying it, it's about nostalgia. And mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, uh, Billy Corgan gets a lot of crap for being Billy Corgan mm-hmm. uh, for um, uh, reasons why he probably should and reasons why maybe not. You know, like he. Hey,
2: he's seen a shapeshifter, man. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We were wondering if, if we could integrate that into this episode somehow.
0: <laughs> of course, I had it in my back pocket. <laughs> <laughs> he like some of some of the lyrics are so flowery and over the top that I think people get a little bit pissed off about it, and he doesn't have a very good sense of humor. like yeah. that does that never um, comes across in anything that he's doing. but I don't think like I think l- lyrically th- those I mean those 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 lyrics are just um there's there's a poetry to them. Yeah. yeah. I that are I really great.
2: I read through them and <clears throat> I don't know. I I just I I couldn't make heads or tails of really what it, he was saying but I like liked the the words that he used and the images that he kind of painted with those lyrics like yeah i i kind of like the the lyrics
1: yeah he apparently was 12 in 1979 and he specifically wanted to write about the huh. experience of being um i think he was 12 i think i think that was the age that i read and he he wanted to write about you know being being that young and um was it uh, th- that that sounds wrong now
0: do you know no i think i think that sounds right actually
1: okay I, I all right that, yeah yeah it's curious because the lyrics do involve you know it sounds like driving around in cars and stuff like that with the headlights pointed at the dawn mm-hmm. and going faster than the speed of sound um but yeah i mean it, it, it i don't know to what degree the music video colors the way that i interpret the lyrics but i just see it as being about sort of restless kids and um it's curious that he he seems to acknowledge death multiple times in the song. Like we don't know just where our bones will rest to dust, I guess forgotten and absorbed into the earth below. But it almost seems like that's like a liberating thought to him in the context of the song. Mm. Um, Yeah. I think they're, they're pretty strong lyrics.
0: Yeah. I don't know that there's ever a moment on this album where um, it like, Oh, I shouldn't say ever because there are actually a couple of moments that jump out to me where I'm like, Ooh, maybe that's
1: Lost My Innocence to a no good girl.
0: Coil my tongue around a bubble be mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. that's no good. Um that's <laughs> exactly like one of two uh, <laughs> parts in the album where I'm like, ooh. Um but yeah, but then there are moments where um you know, there are all these these kind of flowery lyrics where it's like, Oh yeah, it just paints a really good picture. Without saying specifically, uh, you know, without being literal, mm-hmm. it, it still puts you in the place and time of what he's trying to communicate to you. And I think it's uh, very effective in that way. Yeah.
1: Well, we've talked about the music video a fair amount, but anything else stick out to you this time around?
0: The music video is what I remember. M- yeah, way more. It's a good video. Yeah, yeah. It's really good. Way more than hearing the song on the radio. I remember the the mtv premiere being a big deal and uh and having a great impact on me um
1: yeah and that aspect of things like having a big mtv premiere is so surprising because it's so shitty looking uh looks like you know it looks shot on video um i mean the quality it's so dingy looking but it, it totally works i mean it's fantastic it's just it's just strange to think of a time when this was a high profile music video and still looks like it was shot on such a budget. I saw that they had sh- basically shot the whole thing and then they lost like a bunch of the footage was like stolen out of a car or something like that. And they had to reshoot some of it, but, uh Oh yeah, no. And it's just, it's just uh, compellingly shot. I don't know if this, if this goes along with, um you know, there was an era in the nineties when, filmmaking on video became sort of like an artsy calling, you know, sort of like the Dogma 95 directors like Lars von Trier and people who are using video. And I wonder if if to some degree it was just chic to use (laughs) video Hmm. rather than it being a budgetary constraint. But
0: yeah, this was uh, Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris, right? Who um, had directed a number of like pretty prominent videos from the era. Okay. They were a good a good team.
1: Yeah. Did you guys get into any of the trouble that these kids got into? Did you do some TPing? Did you do any screwing around in convenience stores? Did you go trash any parties?
2: No, I was a good Christian kid.
0: I feel like there's like I identified with um a lot of this, but not all of it. Um, the things that got into like, like trash in the convenience store was a little bit too far.
1: Like yeah, it was almost I like kind <laughs> of just like getting into mischief,
0: but not yeah. anything that would like actually cause grief to someone else.
1: Right. The
0: yeah. We, we did
1: good. some, we did some house teepeeing yeah. when we were, when we were teenagers. And we would go, you know, because we were bored and it's just a reminder like teenagers don't have anywhere to go. Yeah, um, we would go to like uh, Target or Toys R Us or something like that late at night and take out like, you know, children's bicycles and ride them around the store, things like that. Yeah. Um, take the balls out of the pens and bounce them around and throw them to each other across the toy store, and and of course never buy anything. Um, but we did, we definitely did some stuff like that. Never trashing parties, never, never destroying property. Yeah. Um it's it's weirdly bittersweet for me seeing young Billy Corgan looking like sort of in this transition point between slightly pretty young man and balding demon monster vampire <laughs> <partner>, uh, yeah <laughs> yeah do you feel any of that do you feel any like sadness seeing young Billy Corgan and thinking about the fact that there was a young Billy Corgan once
0: maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Because um, I think the thing that aged him was kicking Jimmy Chamberlain out of the band. Mm -hmm. I think there was this, this leap in his maturation that came with that where like, he stopped being a kid. He stopped being, you know, like when he had hair in the the Siamese Dream album uh, videos and things like that. Still a kid, and even here he he still seems like a kid. But like when that but he's happens, not. He's
1: he's maybe thirty. Really, I mean, he's young. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, if it, he was just, twelve and
2: seventy-nine,
1: then he was born in sixty-seven. Like, and so he wouldn't quite be thirty yet.
2: Yeah, twenty. What ninety? Yeah.
0: So they had they had they had headlined uh, Lollapalooza in 1994, and I think that's when they got everybody to hate them, um, just by like touring with other bands, and everyone got sick of him because of how insufferable he is. Um, and even then he was like yeah. insufferable to other other artists? artists. Yeah, yeah. Really, I think he really like alienated himself in the band during the how particular thing. And, um, wait,
2: like why, what did he do?
0: Do you think? I think he was just kind of this humorless, like self-important kind of person. And they were headlining mm-hmm. Lollapalooza. Yeah. And I think he, he didn't take that lightly. You know, he was like, you know, we're the, we're the big deal. There. Yeah. And everybody else is just sort of like, you know, indie bands are like, mm-hmm. you know, amateurs or whatever. Um, there's a f- I, I, I know I've read a really good article in Spin from this era that's online somewhere um, that kind of talks about this um, and, and picks up different quotes from different artists and things like that. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that there was th- that that moment where Jimmy Chamberlain gets kicked out and they transition to a door without him seems to age him and he never seems young again. (laughs) He seems like an old man from that point forward, like this cantankerous old crotchety angry guy.
1: Well, he falls into a trap that I think a lot of artists fall into. And I mean, let's be clear. If you are uh, in a band and your band makes two great albums, like you're, you're in great company. I mean, you're, you know, and so the pumpkins have, they've done their thing, but I feel like a door is a departure, and the moment that you say we're gonna return to form now, which is what I feel like Machina was, mm-hmm. I feel like for most artists your story's over hmm. when when you're trying to return to form, th- th- you're you're already uh on their well hang on this is this would be the machina would be their fifth album um but once you get into that mindset i feel like it's like the excitement is done like that's all if if you're trying to return to form then you're going i feel like you're you're a lost soul from that point forward i don't know do you not i feel like if, if you're going to move forward you got to just keep moving forward you have to do i don't know yeah, that's a no, great
2: point. Yeah, you're absolutely making sense, Alec. And I, I think I generally agree with you. I think that, um, the, I think there are two different, uh, maybe definitions of returning to form. There's the intentional attempt at returning to form, like what you are mm-hmm. referring to. And I think, um, returning to form can be used to describe, like, uh, maybe a band to, uh, or an artist who, um, was good had a rough stretch and then returned to form uh you know yeah. referring to like the quality of the product mm-hmm. and uh, I'm kind
1: of thinking about going back to the shack
2: yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i yeah I, I think uh you know uh using the the first definition i th- i think yeah you you make a great point
0: I think machine is a little bit of both though I mean like they were kind of moving forward with some of the adore sounds but then like also kind of bringing in incorporating some of the stuff from Siamese dream and, and melancholy um,
1: mm-hmm. but you, you, you like machine more than most people that I know I yeah think.
0: I'm I'm sure I mean I like machine more than I like Siamese dream
1: Wow uh, yeah it's
0: yeah I think machine is wonderful Um there are you know, one or two duds on it, but on the How whole How many it's, songs are on it? I think 15. Jesus. Yeah, it's long. Um, but it's really good. It's really good. And I mean hmm. in a lot of the same way that uh, that uh Melancholy's good. It's not nearly as diverse, but mm-hmm. um mm. you know, it still has that 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 heavy quality that's also very melodic. Um yeah and and very much like a smashing pumpkins album.
1: Well, um speaking of Smashing Pumpkins albums, let's going to the belly of the beast here
2: wait should we talk about the song like the actual song
1: 1979
2: yeah we talked about the video we talked about the drum
1: the drum loop i feel like we talked about the song (laughs) for quite a while
2: we talked about the lyrics i guess yeah i guess we talked about it a bit (laughs) i feel like i feel like i haven't said anything uh
3: oh
1: well yeah what else do you have to say
2: about the song i not much (laughs) 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 Um. it's awesome (laughs) I love it I uh, you know I I said that uh, you know Alec you were I think you were expecting us to have like immediately loved it you know like yeah like I mean sounds like that's what your experience was and I I I think Bullet with Butterfly Wings was my introduction to the pumpkins and um, I think 1979 I, I didn't love Bullet with Butterfly Wings at first either. I think it was also a little too dark and heavy for me, uh, a little scary. Um, Zero was that way as well. Um, in 1979, I would have thought would have been like, um, like a great entry point for me with how much warmer it sounds. And um, I, yeah, I, it was fine. Like, I don't, I don't think I hated it, but I, I it left no impression um, on me at the time. I I think tonight, tonight was the, um, was what got me interested. Um, Mm -hmm. which, you know, when we get to the album, I'll talk about how much I hated it for a long time. But, um, I, yeah, I mean, for, for years now, of course I've, I've loved the song though. I mean, it's like emo guitar, like guitar octaves, uh, nice. Um, I, I like the mix of the, like, guitar octaves and just like the kind of like unassuming like uninteresting bass line it's just a really good mix like the bass i love the bass in the song i love when it comes in and like it's so simple but um it just it really adds a a nice layer to everything um and yeah melody is great um yeah, I don't know. I, I I didn't have much much to add. I I, I guess mm-hmm. it's just. um
0: I'm glad you mentioned the emo chords. That's uh the oh, major yeah. major sevenths. Yeah, with the octaves, like that's exactly what it is. Yeah. yeah. Um and then uh
1: I think the thing we haven't mentioned the bridge the bridge is incredible.
2: Oh the bridge is yeah cool. yeah.
1: So this is a trick that I feel like've I've started ex- using in my own music. There is correct me if I'm wrong. there's a, a piano just playing the bass note on the uh, on the bridge, right? Oh I'm pretty sure that there is a, a piano playing single notes along with the oh I, I've okay, never uh, noticed whole that. notes along with the bass that uh, is a, a really nice touch. just during the bridge. Yep, pretty sure. Oh, Interesting.
0: Wow. I know there's um, like a synth pad happening throughout I, the song. In I was going to ask
2: if it was if it was an
0: organ. Like it almost sounds like an organ. I'm pretty sure it's a synth pad.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: But
2: like an That's organ possible. sound. Just like am um, I?
0: It, it's yeah. I, I, I hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Something like that.
2: It's a nice. Sure. It's a nice touch.
0: Yeah. It's like spacey. The song is uh, yes.
2: spacey and like a. Uh, to me like I know that there was like a some sort of thing between them and hum like yeah I think uh, did hum open for them on a tour or at least sh- some shows they did I don't know. together Chic- Chicago connection. but right yeah, yeah. and uh, I definitely think that um I, I mean this song does not sound like hum um, hum are heavier and uh, their ballads are much different than this but like there there is like a spacey element to it that makes me think Mm -hmm. of for sure yeah for sure yeah
1: i think the spaciness you're mentioning is what i for some reason call humidity (laughs) (laughs) so there's a there's a thickness in the air sure somehow yeah Yeah.
2: okay we can talk about the album
1: okay (laughs) um this will probably be more than half of the episode, but let's say we're flipping over to the next disc <laughs> and we're entering disc two, Twilight to Starlight. Um. Okay, well, we know that Travis loves this album. Um, it was
2: his number one. On, yeah.
1: Of the I guess, of Trav, why, why don't you just go ahead and tell us why? a little more about why you love this album.
0: So... I guess I don't know if I'm going to repeat myself from the the last uh, from the potties, but um, <laughs> my understanding is that that Billy Corgan wrote this as like this um, this epic album for like teenagers to appreciate from their bedrooms. I know I've I've read him you know saying this before, and it was like that was what I was at the time mm-hmm. that he wrote this. It was it was like directed to me and I felt it you know in that capacity and um it's two hours it's very long but it never that's that's it, it, it's never something that holds me back from from really embracing it or loving it like I can make different different playlists like multiple different playlists on Spotify now of songs from this album Um, to fit different moods Mm -hmm. and, um, there are so many different types of songs that are still somehow cohesive that fit this theme, um, that they were going for. That's just, um, unlike anything else. And, uh, yeah, they didn't do it before. I mean, there's nothing from Siamese dream that really, um, would cross over into this album and nothing from a door that was like left over i mean perfect was kind of like this 1979 sequel and i know that they definitely were through the uh the video a bit mm-hmm. um but still it, it it didn't it didn't hit the same way that like the the rest of the songs in the album did so i i i, I don't I don't know how to say it other than like just experiencing it as this very special thing um, that happened. It was my first really like favorite album. Like I never felt as intensely as about an album, uh, about an album as I did with with this Mm -hmm. until, you know, probably like college. Um, Everything else that came after it was just sort of like, um, you know like this adventurous sort of thing where I was like dabbling in emo and like different types of bands and things like that and in growing and things like that and those were important albums for sure but um, nothing that had the like the personal impact that this did and I, I feel I don't know it's, it's an interesting experience that like as I got older I also became like kind of ashamed of this album where I was sure. like, this is like a prog. This is this bloated double album that wasn't cool. And mm-hmm. um, it was my favorite album and I pretended it wasn't, you know, and I was just like, oh yeah, that's, that was when I was a kid and I don't really care about it anymore. And um, it, it, yeah, it's just, I, I, I'm not, I don't regret that because that's just, I guess what you do when you're like in your early twenties and kind of growing and learning about music and things like that. But like, It was very easy for me to come back around and be like, oh, yeah, actually, this never stopped being great. I just pretended to, like, not really acknowledge it in the same way that I had when I was younger. It's still as good now as it was to me, you know, when I was a kid.
2: I don't think I knew, Trav, like, when we first started becoming friends and and really, really good and close friends... um, so like col- you know college years for me and and not long after that i I don't think I ever knew that you um really loved this album um, I think it was like later on that um I realized that
0: mm, skeleton in my closet
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know one of the main things that jumps out at me when I think about what I love about this album. Um, cause I do love it despite feeling conflicted about a lot of it. Um, I think about the artwork and it's so, it's curious to hear you say, Trav, that it's an album for, for teenagers sitting in their bedrooms. And I, I 100% agree with that. But if you look at the artwork, it's, it's got this children's story element to it, um, A lot of Alice in Wonderland influence. This is the second episode in a row where we've talked about Alice in Wonderland, but I mean, there are, it's undeniable. There are are bunnies playing baseball. There are um, a variety of animals smoking a hookah. (laughs) There are some birds in a plane flying. You know, almost everything is set at night. And um, I think that that's partially maybe meant to evoke feelings of childhood. But there's also, you know, as more explicitly spelled out in the Tonight Tonight video, there's this connection to uh, uh, Georges Méliès' silent films like A Trip to the Moon, you know, that uh, the 1979 is so much based on. And uh, for me, there's like a nostalgic longing associated with these images of like a feeling of sort of nighttime dreaminess and also a feeling of innocence. And I, 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 I guess I'm uh, at first, when you said that thing about this being an album for teenagers, I was having trouble making the connections. But then I think about like the source of a lot of the anger and anguish on a lot of these, like the heavier songs seems to be about sort of like losing some kind of precious childhood, um, dreaminess or innocence I mean I was even just mocking the line lost my innocence to a no good girl (laughs) but um it's it's fascinating to me to think about as as someone who had the same bedroom from the age of eight to the age of 18 that like listening to this album You know, when you're a teenager, it's curious because when you look around your bedroom and you're feeling miserable about being an adolescent, you're looking around at all your childhood stuff because it's still in your room and it's still the same room that you had when you were a kid. And it just brings up an interesting, bittersweet cocktail of emotions for me that I do think is kind of at the heart of this album and all of the things that it does. It's an epic... um, and it has a a really great emotional sweep and it goes to all these different places. Um, But you're kind of making me wonder if it all does sort of circle back to that being a teenager in your bedroom sensation.
0: Yeah. So I wonder if objectively, if this is like good, I don't know because I know that it hit me the way it was supposed to hit me. But Mm -hmm. like, if you listen, if, if I were, you know, 14 now in 2020 would this have the same impact and i mm-hmm. kind of doubt that it would um hmm. i don't know that it would it probably wouldn't have the same impact maybe the songs are as good i know the songs are are well crafted well constructed mm-hmm. um but it could it's, it's maybe more predominantly like a nostalgic kind of thing. Um, which I know feels a a little cheap, but, but
1: it's baked into the, it is.
0: Yeah. I mean, like that's the reality of the situation. Like that's my experience Mm -hmm. with it. So it is what it is. Mm -hmm.
1: Quill, what's been making you come around a little more lately to the album?
2: Good songs that are on it. Um, I, first I want to say regarding the artwork, uh, um, I, I always thought that the artwork to me, it always felt dark and creepy. Um, Hmm. and I felt that way as a kid. Um, and, um, to this day, I mean, it's been a while, you know, all my CDs are still in boxes. So, um, I haven't looked at the, you know, CD booklets in a, in a minute, but, um, I yeah I, I it's I, I see what you're saying about you know the the both both the the childhood uh kind of like um fairy tale aspect of of the artwork and and Trev you saying that this is an album for teenagers in their bedrooms and I I definitely see both of those points but yeah I always felt like. Um, Definitely not like horror movie creepy, but just like I don't know. It, the artwork was always eerie and and unsettling and creepy to me in, in a cool way. I I, I yeah. think that I have loved the visuals with um associated with the album. So I just wanted to throw that in
0: there. Um, yeah. So I, I Quillon, you've always mentioned like whenever we talk about this, you've always kind of rolled your eyes. Yes. For at for years yeah, and for, years, yeah. like oh yeah. god, melancholy. Yeah. Like you like you like Siamese Dream, right? Yeah, I,
2: I like Siamese Dream.
0: And um Yeah. I and, don't love it, but I like it. Yeah, yeah. And when this would come mm-hmm. up, you'd be like, oh God, whatever. Yes. And yes. uh yeah, you've yeah. kind of listened to it a little bit and reevaluated for this episode, right?
2: I, I did, yeah. I um I acquired this, uh so like maybe got at this point. I mean, this was probably two thousand eight or two thousand nine. I had, um, a friend who offered to sell me his entire CD collection for, like, some insanely cheap price, like, it was, like, 50 bucks or something like that, and it was, like, 200 CDs or something like that, and, um... And I did that i i i bought it, and I kept everything that i I was interested in and and sold everything else and um uh, I think both Siamese Dream and Melancholy were in that, and I was I, at that point i had honestly never listened to the entire album, and I was like, "Oh, this is great! I'm so happy to have the opportunity to um listen to this album and uh, I because I I had always been interested in it when I finally came around on like nineteen seven or um tonight tonight, um I've been I had been interested in, in digging into the album, so I finally do it and I hated it like it just immediately <laughs> I was just like only the singles are good and I don't even like all the singles, um and I I didn't care for anything else and I tried it again a few years later and maybe there were a few non-singles that had um stuck out to me um and I think at at that point I was like okay yeah I do like all the singles um but yeah I I just I I just just nothing it it I think it was just so overwhelming that I couldn't I just couldn't do it I, I I couldn't stand to try to pick things out uh like i didn't have the patience and i i consider myself a, an extremely patient person um and i just did not have the patience to to weed through you know a what a 28 song album um and so uh yeah for for this episode i just really hunkered down with it and um was was really pleasantly surprised by a lot of songs on it um and yeah I, I even made a uh my version of the album a, a single LP version of the album 14 songs resequenced it um and it, I I feel great like these this 14 song album that I've made for myself from this is awesome I think I texted you guys that it would have been in my top 10 of the year and I've listened to it multiple times since. And I would maybe even say maybe top five, like it's great. Um, so yeah, I, have really come around, uh, on half of it. And I, I, Travis, you were asking me earlier, uh, you know, pre-recording, um, what specifically, I hated on it still and and I was having a hard time outside of I think I said the the opening track of the first disc and the closing track of the second disc. And <clears throat> otherwise everything else I I just I didn't know what to say. I I they didn't stick out to me enough to to consider liking the songs, but I think I mean that's just the problem with an album that's so long and so daunting and overwhelming. You know, maybe if I decided to listen to the whole thing a few more times. I I guess I I do think it's possible that I could really come around to liking it as an, as a whole. Um, I've gotten pretty happy with this half album version of it that I I think I'll be hard pressed to listen to the whole thing again. Um, And we'll probably just stick to this version that I, I I really like. but um,
1: yeah. So I set myself the challenge of making a one disc version as well. So um I made a 14 track version that I, I was also pretty satisfied with. And I, I like this album a lot. Um and I, I but I, I'm sixty percent sure that I would like it more if it were this one disc version. Mm-hmm. So we this is a a Facebook challenge I would like to propose uh to make your playlist and call it Melancholy and the Finite Sadness. <laughs> and uh, to cut it down to one disc and see what you can do. So mine was 52 minutes long. And I think it accomplished the same musical journey, but I do think that there is a little bit of... um, I I think you could probably make... I could probably take all of the songs that I didn't choose and I could still make a very, very good album out of them. But I do think that there's a little bit of redundancy where you know sure i i think that all of the songs are good but i i i i do think that there's some overlap in some of the songs like i don't necessarily need uh where boys fear to tread and jelly belly on the same album personally i don't necessarily need uh uh i don't know what's the one that sounds like benny and the jets um I don't need that and, I don't know, muzzle on the same album. Here is uh, no why. The um, Dang. Then no, it sounds like Benny and the Jets. <facets> yeah, here is no <to> why. <Legends> <inaudible> the fifth song. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I need both
2: of those songs on an album.
1: Oh, okay. All right.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. I remember it's like, Alec, you shared that, that, that list. And I, I, remember sort of being like, yeah, but what about this song? And you were like, oh, it's covered by this. And I was like, Uh oh, I get what you're saying. (laughs) Like every, like you can cover 14, like with those 14 songs, you can cover all of the feelings that are, um, covered in the songs that you left off with those 14 songs. Interesting. Yes. But why,
1: why I've got time. I've got another <laughs>
0: 30 40 yeah, years of life. I I can listen I, to all of it.
1: Even at the height of my I am at the height of my 90s indie rock, or my 90s alternative rock renaissance right now. The idea of listening to this album all the way through is it's it's not a very appealing idea to me. Mm. Yeah.
2: I my version is uh 54 minutes and I um did away with making any sort of similar musical journey and just, you know, the 14 songs that I love, I put them in the order that uh, felt best to me. And uh, it's an entirely different monster. And I think that that is a big plus for me.
1: Um, I remember in, in high school having a lot of conversations with a musician who was in another band, and we would frequently talk about Doolittle, and his big thing about why Doolittle was great was that it, it, none of the songs repeated themselves except Gouge Away, which repeats the formula of Tame. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that exception, every song was doing a completely distinct thing on that yeah. album. And that, that thought's kind of stuck with me. It's not a rubric for me or anything like that, but I was thinking about that as I was thinking about how to approach yeah. shortening yeah. melancholy.
0: My condensed version of the album is 33 songs. It is <laughs> the full length minus XYU plus six songs from the Aeroplane <laughs> Flies High box. <laughs> How long? How long does it
2: put
1: it at? <laughs> oh, you two know, and a like, half, like four hours. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's worth it. Check it out. Yeah, I do think there's something to be said for um, it's a cinematic album. Treat it like sitting down for a movie. Um, I think that there's something to be said for that and getting lost in the length. Um, I think that's a, a perfectly fine and and I, I I don't I don't fault the band for releasing it in all 28 tracks. I don't think that that was the wrong decision.
0: And I I have a, go
2: ahead. Oh, I I was just going to say, I have a question. Is drown, uh, a B side from this album or from Siamese dream?
0: I think it's Siamese dream. I certainly associate it with Siamese dream. Okay. I, I don't know, but yeah, I was going to say, I mentioned like, I, uh, I associate it with, with Alec because you know, I can drive to Chicago and put melancholy on driving to <laughs> Chicago, and it's like a it's a Chicago thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's a four hour drive for for me to get to Alec, and yeah, uh, I can it's, it's yeah I can throw way. it on, and I, I've definitely had it on when I pull up and see the skyline, you know. Yeah. And huh. it's it's a, a really great moment. Yeah. And that's in addition to seeing seeing them when we we saw Billy Corgan. Yeah, uh, we we totally R- spontaneously
1: Ravenna. day of made the decision to go see Billy Corgan. Yeah, and that was yeah.
0: the one of the very few moments I've cried human tears. Yeah, when, to see a band. Yeah, <laughs> and it was it. We wasn't were both like...
1: we were both hoping to hear Galapagos <laughs> for some reason. We were both fix. I don't know if I even included that in my fourteen songs, but we were both fixated on hearing Galapagos that yeah. day, and we heard it.
0: And we heard it and it was just the most amazing thing. And I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was just like, I was laughing and crying. I was like overcome with like emotion with like how crazy it was that like, I wasn't even thinking about it going into that day and hearing it just like, it was, it was this very overwhelming kind of moment.
1: Yeah. Um music critics saw Corgan as a romantic in contrast to Cobain's descendants who were cynics. Do you buy this? I think that I think that Corgan saw himself the same way. Um is Corgan the lone idealist in the um 90s alternative rock landscape?
0: Maybe not the lone idealist, but maybe like the primary one? Where yeah. he was, like, sort of leading the charge, where he, he was just very much believed in what he was doing mm-hmm. all of the time, and it was very sincere.
1: Yes, very sincere.
0: Um, and humorless, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which, you know, kind of bit him uh, mm-hmm. at, at a lot of points, um, especially in the 90s when things were so ironic, you know, and, like, you had to mm-hmm. kind of undercut any kind of, like, sincere emotion with like um you know something to, to 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 take the edge off a little bit and um right he never really did that um so yeah yeah i totally buy that um is yeah. i i i would be um surprised to hear a, a different approach uh if if somebody said that that wasn't the case mm-hmm
1: yeah, I mean, I I do sort of subscribe to the the old axiom. Maybe you could even call it a cliche that every cynic is a is a disappointed idealist. <laughs> um, I you know I I do think that Kurt Cobain was a very sensitive person, um, and I, I I do think that to some degree his cynicism was a reaction to being hurt. I don't know, maybe everybody's cynicism is a reaction to being hurt. You know, the the only other uh, person I could think of is, um, you know, Eddie Vedder, um, seems like a pretty hard on his sleeve, sincere um, kind of rocker. Uh, A little more of a self-conscious creator maybe than Billy Corgan is, but uh, I don't think that Corgan's alone you know um it it doesn't sound like Trav it doesn't sound like you think Corgan was alone either
0: yeah and I think Eddie Vedder is a lot more even keeled and well balanced Mm -hmm. when it comes to this sort of thing sure like Corgan has his moments his tantrums and things like that which um has always made him seem a little more human to me um for better or worse you know I know he's talked to like alex jones and assholes like that or he's like he really kind of steps out on the edge of you know free thinking and things like that or it's like "Eh, maybe maybe this isn't great
1: yeah we've talked about how to shorten this album but i think this is the first double album that we've run into um some double albums that you like what 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 makes a double album work or not work for you in general
2: So for me, I have a hard time with double albums that are, you know, two separate albums or two, you know, like um, two uh, halves that are clearly like this is. And and I, I like that about single albums. I like single albums that are like, this is clearly side A, this is clearly side B um Mm -hmm. the double album version of that I struggle with um this is one of those uh the white album by the Beatles um is the same for me um I really love the first um LP of the white album uh even though it's not perfect um and the second lp i like maybe a, a very small handful of songs and huh. and dislike a lot of it um and i i think it's it, i think a lot of it has to do with they're two separate thoughts um and not one complete whole like long whole um the opposite of that would be London Calling um, by The Clash, which is considered a double album. And and that is at a, a complete hole for me, like front to back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would say there are maybe one or two songs that I don't love, but like, I think that everything on it is necessary. Um, and this, like, like I've, been saying this album is not that way the white album is definitely not that way um yeah uh there's a experimental like uh post-rock slash emo double album uh by the Appleseed cast called low-level owl um that i love that now that that is an argument for the separate uh, pieces it, it was released separately like I think they were released a month apart um but it's supposed to be one cohesive piece um hmm. and it, it's to me because it was released separately and i i bought them and and acquired them separately they're i I can listen to them back to back and it really works um but they are kind of two separate thoughts um but but there's enough tying them together that it 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 works um they're also both like 50 minutes each versus like 75 minutes each um so that helps too but yeah and uh, those are just like the i guess double albums that are prominent in my mind and and mm-hmm. how i feel about them
1: great yeah, my favorite double album i think this qualifies uh Tusk would be my oh, favorite no, double album oh of shit yes um uh, <laughs> that and that in sign of the times yeah and uh Sign of the Times is is uh, fr- frankly it's a mess. Uh it's great and, and, it, and it's sure. a mess. And I almost feel like it, it it belongs as a double album specifically so that it can be a mess. Um but uh yeah in terms of like what makes Tusk work I mean it feels like the the Stevie Nicks and Christine McVie songs are coming from a completely different place than the Lindsey Buckingham songs but uh somehow it all comes together just magically on that album i i I don't mind the disconnect between Mm -hmm. i don't know everything everything somehow comes together to create some kind of a glorious whole and it's like we need the two different approaches to sort of temper each other
0: but there are a lot of repeated ideas on tusk right yeah so yeah. I mean, like, I a mean, lot of the uh, songs can be eliminated it, by the same um, token that you're eliminating a lot of the songs on Melancholy.
1: Sure. Yeah, but, you could do, you know... Not That l- Funny. ...Ledge and, and Not That Funny.
0: There's
2: Not That Funny in another song that uh, they're like... I would say, I would exactly, say The Ledge, there's, the, the second track. I, I'm thinking of a completely different uh, song okay. that they sound almost like the yeah. exact same song. You
1: could do, uh, let's see, you could do, I know I'm not wrong. And, um, there's another one that's, uh, let me look at the track listing. Um, you could do, I know I'm not wrong and that's enough for me. Um, I don't know. I mean, they're not, they're not partic- that that, similar, but, um, you know, a lot of the ballads pretty similar. I love Tusk uh, though. That's
2: a that's a great, great and and Sign of the Times too. Those are two really great examples of
1: of yeah yeah for me double yeah. albums that are amazing. Those, I don't those know. Are definitely my two top ones. I mean, we
0: do we should we talk about the Wall too? I mean, like that's the most prominent double album of all time, right?
1: I've never listened to it, and I, I never if cared if, for if it. my okay. if my current interests hold, I probably never will.
0: Never watched the movie or anything. No. Okay.
1: It's cool. I've never heard anything to indicate to me that I need to listen to Pink Floyd.
0: Okay, I mean, it. it you know, that's that's a, a very proggy sort of like mm-hmm. story, start to finish, mm-hmm. where like it's a narrative sort of thing, where I mean, you could probably eliminate some songs, but really, like, you're eliminating points in the story.
2: Right. Yeah. It's like concept out or like
1: a yeah. rock opera yeah. kind of thing or yeah. Uh let's let's go through the singles. Uh Bullet with Butterfly yeah. Wings, we've talked about a, a fair amount. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Reached number 2 on the charts. Yeah. That's
0: yeah. Good. Good Pretty rocking.
1: Mhm. Pretty rocking. 0 number 9. Cool. I think I think the most rocking song in the whole album.
2: Oh, I disagree, but it's good and the a, a the record.
1: harmonics the harmonics are amazing the guitar solo is amazing um
2: trev you taught me how to play the <laughs> guitar part once with the harmonic part cuz i i remember asking you like how does one do that sound on on the guitar? And you showed me, and I I ran with it. I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah, man. And I was really proud to have learned that from you.
1: (laughs) I I also really love the parts where they mix up the riff, and they go, Yeah. yeah. Um, It always feels like they're really messing with the time, and I don't think they're actually messing with the time at all. Um, but they, no. they, they create the illusion that they are. Yeah. Yeah. They're changing the uh, notes
2: around and it, it sounds off, but yeah, it's still Yeah. Like, I mean that c-
0: that's especially like a juvenile song. Like that's 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 the one for the teenagers, I think. Like Yeah. Like I don't like it doesn't hit me the same way as an adult as oh it's it
1: just kid. rocks so hard to me, okay. and when they come out of the chorus and the squeal of the guitar sort of blends oh, with yeah. the vocals, yeah. and it's almost like you can't quite tell what's what uh that's such a magical moment uh, i I just think that that song really gets my adrenaline thumping mm. uh tonight tonight, number five on the yeah. modern rock chart,
0: amazing, and it took me a few years to figure out its place in the concept of a double album talking mm-hmm. about you know dawn and twilight and all of that and like sort of setting the table for everything that was laid out ahead of you like mm-hmm. yeah. what an amazing uh sort of opening statement yeah
1: it's like curtain opener yeah yeah
2: i appreciated the conversation, the text conversation we were having the other night about the um other songs that are similar. And we were talking about better half by the gut up kids, which I always, uh, yeah, just they're essentially the same guitar part during the verse. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's basically the idea of having some open notes that you're picking and then having just moving around some bass notes. Mm -hmm. I had, I had, I had realized that there are some similarities between found out about you by gin blossoms and tonight, tonight, but they're, they're pretty superficial. But it's the same basic approach to playing the guitar as, uh, like, "Name" by the Goo Goo Dolls, where you know there's, Mm. it's it's basically mostly picking some open strings, but you're moving the bass bass notes around on the guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Although tonight, tonight is not. It's it's in a conventional tuning. Um, I think that a lot of teenagers sat down with a guitar and and figured out how to pick along to tonight tonight. Uh, Muzzle number eight.
2: I had no idea that that was ever a single.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was definitely that's definitely a fair um, amount of that on the radio. Did that's, apparently peak um, higher than zero.
2: I Yeah, I had no idea. That song slaps. Muzzle, best song on the album. Possibly. Really? I think quite, so. Quite possibly. <laughs>
0: All-encompassing, like I mean, it covers. You know, it hints on some of the same um, subject matter as Tonight Tonight, but like it also rocks pretty heavily. You know, it's like mm-hmm, similar. Mm-hmm. I, I connected that to to Jelly Belly. Um, I always thought okay. of that as being like kind of a mm-hmm. uh, sibling song with Jelly Belly, and um, yeah, it just does everything if if you get one song to represent the whole album it's is from muzzle wow huh
2: i love that song it's awesome everything about it is great
1: yeah and finally 33 which peaked at number two i can't believe it got that high yeah it did up there with bullet with butterfly wings
2: I I was saying earlier that when that song was first released as a single, I hated it and I just did not get it. And now it's one of my absolute favorite singles. I think it's awesome. I love it. I love the, um, just the super simple piano melody Mm -hmm. throughout. Um, and like, is it a weird, like slide guitar, like the weird, like kind of like alien sounding guitar. Is it like a slide? I think think it's some slide. It's so cool. It's so cool. Um, Corgan Billy Crangus does a good good <laughs> vocal melody um yeah i, I think that song's gorgeous totally gorgeous totally weird like it's a weird single to me um but mm-hmm. god it's a great song now, I'll
3: make it loud. It can't last
0: Too? I think, uh, is it? Yeah, like the A string is tuned down to a G at the very least. Huh. I think there's some more going on with it, but yeah. Cool.
1: Yeah, I always think of that, uh, pull my collar up and face the cold. Oh, yeah. Um, there's something that that's sort of like, um, when the weather is getting wintry or is wintry and going for a walk and sort of being alone with your emotions but also being sort of like invigorated by that that uh, i feel like this song nails um it does have a mildly it doesn't quite have jingle bells but it has a it has a uh a wintry feel to yeah, it yeah agreed that fits for in sure with for sure a kind of a holiday feeling that um is melancholy but also you know i think the lyrics are generally Pretty, um, pretty upbeat. Uh, you know, there's sort of acknowledges some darkness, but, you know, suppers waiting on the table is sort of like these creature comforts waiting for you in this warm house when you get, you know, uh, when you get home. I I really like 33 a lot. Yeah, same. Yeah. Um, I had always thought that 33 was a song that he had written when he was 33, but now I'm realizing, no, he's he's too young to, to be doing that I don't know what the significance of that number is.
2: Uh, it is the uh, age of which Jesus Christ was crucified.
1: Is it? hmm Oh, I thought, okay. Really? Yes. <laughs> okay.
2: All right. Travis, you laugh. i That's correct, right?
0: I thought it was 32 or 33. You're right. <laughs> okay. I'll take your word for it. Pretty sure it's 33. Jar's a clay bowl. Well, <laughs> um we didn't talk about the end of the album. Yeah. The album we haven't talked ends... we gotta
2: talk about there are many more songs. To talk yeah, about. yeah.
0: The album ends with five songs where it could end after every song. Yeah.
1: <laughs> there are it's like, like Return to the King.
0: Yes. I and I like, <laughs> you know, you mentioned like efficiency and trying to create a 14-song version of this album. There are five five ending songs to this album. We only come out at night. Beautiful. Lily, my one and only by starlight and farewell and Goodnight." It is such. And I think that that really like kind of pays off to why it's so heavy. Like it just, it just keeps going. I also think muzzle would have been a great closer. Muzzle would have been a great closer. You're yeah. right. And I think it like it was kind of placed in the middle of both. Mm -hmm. i mean not it's not the last song on the first album but it's the second to last yeah yeah. second to last and it really kind of like fits in well there
2: the opening to muzzle sounds like an album closer to me yeah very much so Yeah. yeah but yeah i i i think you're you're right that it just kind of yeah you think it's gonna end and then there's another song and then it keeps happening
0: how much of a shock was it to hear uh, we only come out at night in, like, some Google phone commercial in the last year oh, or two?
1: I wasn't aware of oh, that. Oh, man.
0: Yeah, I think it, like, I think I might have heard it during, like, a Super Bowl recently. And it just totally, like, I was just, you know, checked out or whatever. And I heard it. I was like, what? <laughs> what is going on? Like, a, a pumpkin's B-side or, you know, a deep cut. Like, that's, that's wild.
1: Hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Huh.
0: Um, yeah. I mean, as far as like other, like, deep cuts quill did you, you like you there were it sounded like there were songs you wanted to talk about sure el i feel like you
2: were talking a lot of shit on jelly belly maybe you weren't but no, uh no. i dude i think that song rips so hard uh the uh kind of going it goes back and forth between minor and major key right or like like there's a clear part where it switches into major key that's really cool am i
0: I'll tell you the bridge is an amazing build.
2: <laughs> that is like a major key part. Yeah. Is that the bridge? Is that what?
0: I don't know what you were doing. I'm just like, it. going along with you.
2: <laughs> I, I it switches into major key at one point for okay. like a a short span, and it's
1: awesome. Is that when the, it does. to make yourself feel better. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah. know the words oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah But then know like the chords
0: about. are kind of like building underneath it And just like climbing the mm-hmm. entire time he's doing that It's such a such an enormous release when he finally gets mm-hmm. to the chorus there mm-hmm.
2: It's a. Uh, it. It. I just think that song rips. It's yeah, so heavy and kind of fast and uh, yeah. just like uh, unrelenting, like just a barrage of heavy, awesome.
1: Yeah, I, I rock feel like funda- f- fundamentally one of the best things that the Pumpkins do, and and all the way back from their first album, it is that kind of. Um, it's. It's a particular kind of riffing that Jimmy Chamberlain can just drum in circles around that is that kind of like, mm-hmm. um, that's uh it's, it's almost, it's got a little bit of a groove to it. Um, and like I said, you know, Chamberlain's just able to do all these kicks and fills and great, great stuff. And um, man, uh, the, 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 so, the other song that I think of that's not on this album is frail and "Bedazzled." which I, I think of as in some ways, maybe a rough draft for something like Jelly Belly. Uh, I, I think Jelly Belly is great. I, I I put Jelly Belly on my short list.
2: Yeah. I think yeah. Jimmy Chamberlain is one of the most overrated drummers. Really? Um, I do. I, I It's funny because there are songs on this album where I think he kills it. Um, I think uh, here is no why. Great. Um yeah, I and I think you're right, Al, like those kind of faster, heavier songs um are a sweet spot for him. Um his drumming on uh by Starlight is good, appropriate. Is that the song title that I'm Yeah. That right. Yep. Slow, chill. Yeah. He he's great on that song. Yeah. Um but I I think I don't know, I, I, I feel like he is raved about um like i know people who consider him like their favorite drummer or like one of their favorite drummers and i just think he's so overrated uh i think he is fine but
0: um he's a rock uh, drummer right like he just plays rock drums he's a
2: rock drummer who plays on a really large drum kit and Mm. it's like with a lot of pieces and a lot of cymbals and yeah I just I'm not that's not my thing. Yeah. Um and I think it's not most drummers things. And so I'm surprised when I hear so many pod- positive things about his drumming like I think he is like of the four primary members of the band like he's my least favorite part. Um
1: Interesting. Wow. Uh
2: I think that the uh Jelly Belly uh sister song is um bodies. Bodies and Jelly Belly go sure. for me. Sure. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, yeah, absolutely. And I love Bodies. I think Bodies is awesome. Um What else? Uh what other songs stuck out to me? Here's No Why. I mentioned the drumming, but that's a great great guitar chords, great um yeah. little like lick in between. That's one of um, that's
1: one of the most skippable skippable to me. Oh man, I think partly song because is great. I still always think that he's going to start playing Benny in the Jets when it starts.
2: Trev you're like the, the main guitar chord in that song makes me think of you yeah, for sure. A um, major seventh, baby, your style. Uh, I really like Cupid Delac. Mhm. Um, I think it is beautiful and hunting and, uh, yeah, it, it, it sounds like, um, just, it's kind of like in my current like wheelhouse, like it, it, sounds very similar to a lot of music that I've really gotten into like newer music that I've really gotten into over the past couple of years and um just like the harp kind of sound um throughout is really beautiful and um it's spacey and weird and um still a pop song um yeah I, I really like that song um stumbling I really like as like a folk ballad. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. is it, amazing. It's, it's, yeah, it's a beautiful, like, folk song, right? It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, Terrific. And, uh, Beautiful is a really cool pop song. I, I don't yeah. understand how Beautiful wasn't a single. That's like that screen oh, single yeah. to me. Yeah. I,
1: like, I would easily drop that one from the album. Oh, oh
2: God. That sounds yeah. awesome. And it sounds like a single. Like, it sounds very familiar to me. Like, I, I don't know. I I guess I thought I I'm surprised that muzzle was a single over that um or even 33. Um over over beautiful. Uh I also really love um I mean I mentioned it but by Starlight I think is awesome. I really love by Starlight. I on my edited version that's the album opener. Um I really like a, huh. a I really like a chill like ease into things kind of opening to an album um a life of possibilities by d plan on uh, dismemberment plan on um emergency and i is like one of my favorite openers and it's they're not similar songs at all but like the vibe is similar to me just chill relaxed um just kind of easing into things and uh that's how by starlight sounds to me um though it's a lot more of a ballad but uh got cool soaring lead guitar later on
0: and
2: Yeah, it's just it's. I think that uh, that was like a really pleasant surprise to me. Um, and Galapagos too. I I really came yeah. around on Galapagos. Yeah. Um. I think that I covered every song that. That's I, most of the songs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I list, including the singles. I have mentioned every song that
1: I like. Um. What are some yeah, songs if, that if, I if,
2: left off that are? I should, <laughs>
1: Uh I think Some the only other with. the only other one that I would point out is in the arms of sleep I think is quite good um armor for sleep <laughs> Ar- Ar- armor for sleep yep <laughs> see Travis, By-
2: what was i'm sorry amore for sleep do you um, do you remember the conversation we were having with Mac? Last week was it last weekend? Two weekends ago. Yeah. Amore for sleep. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Keep going.
1: Yeah. No. I mean, it's a song about not being able to fall asleep, but it very well conjures the 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 feeling of I think being awake at two or three in the morning and uh being distracted by your thoughts. In his case, some kind of unrequited love. Um but uh i think it's one of the better ballads on the album
0: yeah see i would have picked it it, like a sibling song for that would be to forgive Um, yes based around the lyric uh empty party after afternoons and how it kind of like (laughs) like that's so devastatingly sad um yeah to forgive is is maybe not not as good as stumbling stumbling is probably the best ballad on the album for me but to forgive is is uh up there um and i feel like it needs to be mentioned so that's i think that about covers it i don't have anything else to to mention okay. that hasn't been mentioned of the 28 songs we've pretty much talked about at this point
1: yeah cool all right
2: cool album cool I'm, i'll I'll say cool cool album. I, I came Good. around. I came around on it. I I could do with a I could do with a lot less songs than 28 for sure. Um mm-hmm. and but yeah, I, there's enough on here that I I consider myself one over um on on melancholy and the infinite Great. sadness.
1: Okay, well, let's move on to some other charts. Um on the mainstream rock chart, Uh, 1979 by Smashing Pumpkins Is the number one Mm. so we've got some overlap On the pop chart One Sweet Day Is still number one Um, Anything from the Modern rock chart that you would like To talk about? You know it Yeah what's what's going on?
2: Uh, Another Alice in Chains jam uh, At number six Heaven Beside You Do you guys remember that song?
1: Oh yeah I I do Um, Man and I think that part of me Maybe thought it was a Days of the New Song. Oh,
0: funny.
2: Uh, Um, Come
1: on. Oh, but it's... (laughs) I mean, so here's the thing.
2: I definitely... uh, I hadn't listened to it in years. And when I listened to it in in preparation for this, I was like, I I did not recognize the verse at all. And the chorus Mm -hmm. hit, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's... Okay, this is what I was waiting for. I think that the whole time... I. I remember the uh, MTV unplugged version of it, um, which is not—I mean, it's just acoustic guitars instead. But I, I think I—I yeah. I was surprised by like the the bluesiness, like just the straight up blues yeah. rock. Like, I I loved verses. that song
1: when I was a yeah, kid. Me yeah. too.
2: Uh, the chorus slays. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Oh, also Jerry Cantrell is the uh, lead on it, the lead vocalist on it, which yeah. I I don't. I didn't remember that uh detail either so yeah uh pretty cool song um
0: great riff do what
3: you want to do go out and seek your truth Well. I'm down I'm
2: Guess what shows up at number thirty one on the chart? It's about what? damn time. <laughs> I've been waiting. I've been what waiting. What is it, for Aaron? It. <laughs> Flood by Jars of Clay. Oh they, they finally. Did it. They did it. They made it.
0: They broke through to the secular. <laughs> they broke
2: through <laughs> to the secular realm. And uh it's the my least favorite song on the Jars of Clay album, self titled. Hmm uh it is but uh cool that they're there cool that they're there with it i am surprised that they actually charted with it um that high mm-hmm. and I wonder if they get uh even higher i look forward to to seeing but if I Joseph of clay did it y'all know i don't need to explain Joseph <laughs> of clay uh yeah uh, there are a couple you know aeroplane red hot chili, chili peppers we've talked about it but it's there at uh-huh. number 10 great song uh big me by the foo fighters which i liked uh back in the day that's the futos music video right Men- the yeah. mentos um do, do, yeah. do you guys hate I, that I, song
1: no, oh. it's great.
2: Yeah, it's cool. fantastic. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's a it's a good song. Yeah. yeah,
1: all three of the big singles from that first Foo Fighters album are fantastic. I'll I'll I won't fight it. Um, Naked by Goo Goo Dolls uh, um, is is doing well. That's nice to see. That it was a song that I think all three of us were yeah pretty in, pretty in love with when we really got around to listening to a boy named Goo. Yeah, um, Caught a Light Sneeze by Tori Amos. Um, I'm still not quite there with Tori Amos, but I feel like it's coming. I I don't know if I can offer a whole lot more than that. Um, I mean, that song's interesting. It's got it's got interesting layers and interesting melody. Um, only happy when it rains by Garbage. This this is. Uh, maybe the second garbage single that we've seen. I went back and listened to that pink uh, self-titled garbage album. And there are a couple album tracks that are are really worth checking out, Mm. including that first track. Um, uh, If you haven't listened in a while, it's quite good. And the only other thing that I noticed was uh, everything falls apart by dog's eye view. One of those songs that uh, there's nothing really remarkable about it, but Lord, if it isn't just nice to put on your flannel shirt and, Think about listening to Everything Falls Apart
0: (laughs) Um, I wanted to give a quick shout out to number 25 A Drown by Sunvolt Mm. Great, great riff, great song
2: Sunvolt is uh,
0: Jay Farrar from
2: Uncle Tupelo Uncle Tupelo,
0: right
2: Is it like alt country or like Americana?
0: Yeah Yeah, and that song's probably better than any Wilco song. Oh, wow. You like Wilco. I do like Wilco. I do like Wilco. I'm not, I'm not shitting on Wilco, but I think drown is an excellent
1: song. And I don't, I can't think of a better Wilco song than drown. Okay. I don't have any recollection of it. So I'll have to go back and listen to it. Same. Cool. Well, let's rate 1979 by smashing pumpkins. (laughs) I'll go first. Okay. I'm going to give it five tongues coiled around a bumblebee mouth. Oh, I think this is classic. I, I, I think it uh it nails every element and it's so evocative of uh, the time. And I love it. Five. Wow.
0: I can. Very go next. cool. Um, I give it 9,895 points. Which is five
2: 1979s. Cool. Well, we did it. We will definitely have another Hall of Famer. Yeah. Uh, I give it uh, one Eric Kretz, one Sean Kinney, one Matt Cameron, one Dave Abruzzi's... (laughs) And one Dave Grohl, a.k.a. 4.5 drummers in popular 90s grudge bands who are better than (laughs) Jimmy Chamberlain. (laughs) Grohl is the .5. Grohl being the .5. Yeah,
1: gotcha. (laughs) Grohl should be negative. (laughs)
2: 4.5, yeah.
1: All right. That's got to be our highest rating ever.
2: I think think it definitely will be.
1: Uh, I think that's fitting. That's fitting, yeah,
2: average of four point eight three,
1: yeah, I mean, I would be surprised if we beat that honestly in in regular mm. regular shows. hey,
2: you haven't listened to down by three eleven yet, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think I have vague memories of how I feel about that song, um better than uh, oh God. What song am I thinking of? Amber. Da 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 da. da you got your c- c- Come Original, Come Original. Oh. Whoa. Come Original. You got your Come Original. <laughs> I forgot about that song. Oh, it's really awful. <laughs> yeah, it is. All right. Well, <laughs> uh Nirvana wannabe? Nah.
2: I don't think so. I they're contemporaries.
1: Right, mm-hmm.
2: um, but like, I think they draw inspiration from completely different realms of rock history, and yeah,
1: I agree. I can't imagine that Kurt Cobain would ever have made something like this. yeah, I okay,. Totally agree. Let's move on. uh, tell me all your thoughts on pod as part of the offshelf family. Head to offshelf.net to sign up for their monthly zine and check out our sibling podcast, best song ever. The best, most fun way for us to communicate with all of you is via our Facebook group. Tell me all your thoughts on tell me all your thoughts on pod. However, we still love receiving your emails at thoughts at gmail.com. You can listen along with our playlist on Spotify, Apple Music, or you can watch along on YouTube. Next week, it's ironic. Don't you think? Yes, I really do think. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye
2: bye bye